Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be with you today. I am Pastor Carly, if we haven't met yet. And my family and I have been here for a couple of months at College Church, and it is a joy to open the word with you this morning. Especially after yesterday, I had a little bout of laryngitis or something. Every once in a while, I can't talk for a whole day. And that happened to me yesterday. But with a lot of honey, a lot of prayer, and a lot of tea, we're here. And so I'm really thankful. But will you stand with me as we read from Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. They held back the earth's four winds so that no wind would blow against the earth, the sea, or any tree. I saw another angel coming up from the east holding the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to damage the earth and the sea. He said, don't damage the earth and the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of those who serve our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. Then jumping to verse 9. After this, I looked and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they were standing before the throne and before the lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always, amen. Then one of the elders said to me, who are these people wearing white robes and where did they come from? I said to them, sir, you know. Then he said to me, these people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the lamb's blood. This is the reason they are before God's throne. They worship him day and night in his temple and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will beat down on them because the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, when my husband and I were early married, I think it was our first year of marriage, we lived in this really cute little house in downtown Nampa, like right across the street from Brick 29. It was like a hundred years old. It was charming and quirky and unique and we loved it. And it had these gorgeous hardwood floors. But because of the old hardwood floors, it was not a quiet house. We would hear just about everything creak and and squeak and all the things. And me being a worst case scenario thinker, unfortunately, I almost always thought that we were in danger. Like someone was getting into our house. So living with this, we, we loved the house, but you know, finally, after about a year, we did decide to purchase our own home after we'd been renting. And so we had packed up all of our boxes. It was the night before we were going to move. 
All the boxes were packed. Everything is pretty much empty. We were just ready to load up the truck in the morning. It was like 11 o'clock. It had been a long day of packing. And we were about to get ready for bed. And uh, all of a sudden, we heard footsteps, like right in the living room outside of our bedroom door, like this. And like, they got faster and more frequent. And I looked at Mike. Mike looked at me. And being the valiant husband he is, you know, he like ran and just slammed the door with his shoulder as hard as he could. And then we just looked at each other again, like, what in the world do we do? Like, it sounded like someone was in our house. So I just grabbed Mike. We ran into the walk-in closet. I called 911 and I'm like, there's someone in our house. <laughs> yes. So they're like talking me through it and they're like, okay, we'll send, we'll send some police officers over soon. And so Mike and I are, you know, just huddling in the walk-in closet. And after I get up off the phone, we're listening. Because you can remember, we can hear every single thing in this house. And we didn't hear anything. So I'm thinking either, you know, the intruder is like <laughs> frozen, poised outside of our bedroom door, not moving. But probably more likely, I've started to realize maybe there was nobody there. Then I look down and I realize that I am wearing the Christmas pants. It's May. These pants were these flannel pants, that pajama pants that were Christmas pattern. And they were like this wide on each pant leg. They were a homemade gift from a friend. And they were the best because I could literally take it and like wrap it around my legs like a blanket. I don't know why anyone has not marketed this idea of blanket pants. That's awesome. But here I am. They, they look pretty ridiculous. So I'm already starting to feel silly. Like maybe there's no one in the house. Maybe I didn't hear correctly. And then I'm wearing the Christmas pants. And then there's a knock at the door. And it's the police. And of course, I'm not going out there. I mean, hello, how embarrassing. So Mike goes out and he greets them and they start looking all around. And I'm just like peeking out the doorway. <laughs> and as a few seconds go by and they're searching around, I make eye contact with Mike again. And he points down on the floor. And there is a pile of flat cardboard boxes on the floor. So what had happened, my really good friend, Jen Miller, had brought over some boxes, some flat brand new cardboard boxes, set them along the wall, right in front of the air conditioning vent, 11.02, whenever, the air conditioning flips on and they one by one by one by one slide down and create a sound that sounds like footsteps and absolutely freak me out. <laughs> So now to this day, we call that story the box burglar story. We had a box burglar in our home. But I say that because I think that a lot of times I have the tendency to hear something and then fill in the narration or fill in the gaps with, with things that I already know or, or things that I'm comfortable with or even particular mindsets. Like if I... If I, like I said, I kind of have a worst case scenario thinker mentality. So I filled in that narration with a story without actually seeing it. But when I actually went out to the living room and I saw the boxes, it changed my whole perspective. And I think that probably many of you do the same thing. We hear one thing, we fill in narration, and then we realize that maybe that's not exactly what 
it, it may not be reflecting reality. So I wanna do a little test. We have a video we're gonna show on the screen and I want you to listen, to follow along with on the screen, to listen and see what you hear and how well you do on this little test. So let's play that video. internet and I thought it's all bacon baby I thought that was hilarious okay did any of you get them all right no not one you did Cindy good job so it's not interesting that even in this little game like that we start thinking oh, okay well they're trying to trick us all right we've got to figure this out and we we try to figure it out but yet when we actually saw the answer at the end we realized what was really going on. It was all bacon, baby. So knowing that, you know, maybe there's been a situation in your life, like I hear often in my house, where my daughter Lucy, who's six, will be like, mom, I need your help. And I'm like, okay, is this a need to tie her shoes help? Or is this a, I spilled strawberry jam on the carpet help? I can hear, I can hear accurately what she's saying, but I won't actually understand what's going on until I get into the room and I can see it with my own eyes. And then I can better know how to help her and help, be, help her and be, I can be part of the story moving forward. And so I think that's our main idea today is that God is inviting us to not just hear what he's doing in and around us, but to actually see it. So you think hearing confirms what we think. Right, we talked about that fill in the narration gap with our fears and our expectations, our beliefs, our past experiences. When we hear something, it may confirm what we think, but seeing challenges us to think differently. But it is really easy, isn't it, to keep everything at an arm's length and just to hear. I mean, especially in light of all of the things going on in the world, the brokenness around us, it's really easy for us to just hear about the poor in our community but not actually see the need and how we can be a part of walking with those people in their stories of restoration. It's really easy to see someone's little note on Facebook, their comment on Facebook and go ahead and mm, I'm gonna just write this little snappy comment back. It's really easy to hear that, but not necessarily see them face to face. It's really easy for us to hear about people with different political views and yet not be willing to see their hearts behind it and have conversations that are productive and personal. It's really easy for us to hear about people that are different than us, that come from different backgrounds and not dive in to see the beauty and the uniqueness and the value of their particular culture. And it's really easy for us to hear about people all around us and just think they're just too far gone. There's just no way that they will ever be restored. It's really easy to, to hear those kind of narratives and not be willing to get up close and personal and see. But today, 
I believe that as we dive into Revelation chapter 7, that our invitation is not to live this arm's length, I'm only going to hear life, but to actually get up close and personal and see. Now, this will probably call us out of our comfort zones to link arms with people who are different than us, and it may even propel us to walk the road of suffering following the slaughtered lamb. But I believe that that is our invitation today because new creation is bursting forth and God is inviting us to leave our comfort zones and to be a part of it. So we are diving into Revelation chapter 7 today and we're deviating from the lectionary. As you probably heard last week, I am in a class at Nazarene Theological Seminary. I'm finishing my seminary degree this year and I am in a class on Revelation. And so it is an assignment for me to share with you today from Revelation. And so, you know, I didn't necessarily for my first time preaching at College Church just to decide to pick from one of the most challenging, symbolic, controversial books in the Bible. But here we are, and I'm so thankful, and I I've absolutely fell in love with Revelation in the course of my class. But with that said, in Revelation chapter 7, we are immersed in this scene where this angel is putting seals on the foreheads of these servants of God. This seal that really is a symbol to say, this is, I'm guaranteeing the authenticity of these people. They are my people. And this was a mark of protection as well. Not a mark to necessarily say that they wouldn't go through hardship, but that they would be protected through it. But who were these people? Who were these servants of God who John the Revelator is talking about? Well, in verse, chapter, in verse 4, we read that there's 144,000 people sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. Now, what we have to understand about John is that when he uses numbers, he uses them to paint a picture. They're, they're symbolic. And so in Revelation, John uses the number 12 to paint the picture of the fullness of God's people. So we have 144, a little math here, 12 times 12 is 144. So he's like, look at this picture, these people, this full picture of the people of God, 144. And then he says, I'm going to amplify it and it adds the thousand. So this is supposed to go ding, ding, ding. This is a picture of the fullness of the church. And they're from every tribe of the people of Israel. It's also interesting as we look at this, that Judah we didn't read this, but Judah in verse five is listed first, the tribe of Judah. Judah was not the oldest or the youngest in the, in the brothers of, of Israel. And so, you know, we have to go, why did, why did John choose to write Judah first? Well, it's because Jesus came from the line of Judah and was called the lion of Judah. Now, when we see in from verses five through eight, they say the tribe of Judah, there were 12,000. From the tribe of Reuben, there were 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, there were 12,000. It goes on and on like that. And this was indicative of a military census in the Old Testament. Now, they would take census to make sure that they knew the number of fighting men, young, healthy military men who would be able to go and fight for Israel. So this picture then gives us an idea that John is hearing about, he's hearing 
about this army, this mighty army under the lordship and being sealed under the lion of Judah. This powerful picture of all of these healthy young men ready to fight. It makes me want to just like start playing the eye of the tiger, right? It kind of paints that kind of picture. And that's what John hears. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. That's what he hears. And it paints this amazing picture of this powerful, strong, victorious army. But yet in order for us to understand what John is doing here and what is happening, there is a pattern in Revelation that we have to pay attention to. Because in chapter 5, if we flip back, we see that sometimes John hears one thing, but then sees something else. So in chapter 5, we read... Well, I'll hear a little background first. In chapter 5, John is in the heavenly throne room. And he sees the one sitting on the throne who's holding the scroll. And the scroll has the contents of God's divine plans for the world. But John begins to cry hard, like weep, because he just doesn't think that there's anyone that can open the scroll. There's no one worthy. But then... We read in verse 5 of chapter 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Don't weep, but look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has emerged victorious so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So John, in this moment, he hears lion. He hears that the lion is going to be victorious. He's going to open the scrolls, overthrow evil. We read about in in chapter 1 that that the one who's going to overthrow death in Hades has the keys to them. I mean, this is painting this picture. I think of like in the Lion King when Simba has defeated Scar and he just stands on Pride Rock and he roars. Like it's this picture of this lion who will come victorious and powerful and bring about the divine plans for the world. That's what he heard. But then in verse 6, it says, Then in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain. He heard lion, but he saw lamb. This lamb who looked as if it had been slaughtered, this bloody, wounded lamb. And this is a picture of The Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb in Exodus was put on the doorways of the people of Israel, marking out for God a people. And it was that blood of the lamb who had been slain that allowed for them to walk out of slavery. It was the blood that was the avenue for their liberation. And we know that Jesus then is our Passover lamb. 
So as John, he, he grapples with this and it may feel strange for, for him to see that the one who's to reveal the, and roll out the divine plans for the world to overcome evil and, and all of the darkness and the brokenness is a slaughtered lamb, that seems kind of strange. But both lion and lamb are true. What he heard was real it was a piece of the puzzle, but then he was able to zoom out and actually see up close and personal the lamb. In this moment, power and victory are completely redefined by the lamb. Power and victory come through self-sacrifice and through self-giving love. That is the definition of power. So knowing this, let's then go back to chapter seven. So we know that he has just seen this army, right? This valiant, strong, powerful lion army, right? These are the people who are being sealed. And it would have been really easy, I think, for, for John to, to hear that. Like that seems very comfortable because once again, it kind of fits into our power narrative in the world. But it says, after this, I looked and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and the lamb, and they wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. He saw 144, this army, but then, or excuse me, he heard, he heard that. But then he saw a great multitude that no one could count of every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue, uh, this incredibly diverse people that no one could even count, this humongous crowd that went on forever and ever. No limitations. People from, like I said, every tribe, nation, and tongue, but I'll tell you what, people from different backgrounds, people that have different stories of transformation, people who may have grown up in the church, people who may have struggled with addiction, people who have been houseless, people who have been powerful in the eyes of the world, all together in this great multitude. And this is redefining for John and redefining for us what it looks like to be the people of God. And it's beautiful because John hearing Israel wasn't necessarily wrong, the army of Israel, See, God had called Israel his chosen people not to be this like little holy huddle, but to be his reflections of light and love in the world, to be a people on mission. And so seeing this great multitude then shows us that the mission of God was being accomplished through the people of Israel. And that's incredible. But the people of God and the stories of transformation and restoration that are being written in the world are not just for one holy huddle or one people group, but are the, the stories for everybody. And I believe that that is our invitation today to not just hear what we may be comfortable with, but to see the mission of God as bigger and more expansive than we could have ever even thought. 
And that's what we're being invited into, not just to hear, but to see. One of my mentors and roles in, in role models in ministry, her name is Danielle Strickland, and she was a an officer with the Salvation Army for many years and spent a lot of time in the downtown east side of Vancouver, British Columbia. In this area, there, she had a mission training center that she and her husband ran and would bring students in to train them as, uh, in part of their preparation for ministry. And this area in eight city blocks had 7,000 injecting drug users. It was a very, very difficult neighborhood with a lot of brokenness. And this was where they ministered and brought students. Well, two of the students that came to the school ended up falling in love and wanting to get married. And they wanted to get married right where they met, which happened to be in this alley called Blood Alley. You can maybe put together the pieces as to why. And Danielle was like, I tried to talk them out of it. This just didn't seem like a great idea but they were set on it. So they rolled, they like power washed the, the alley. They rolled down a red carpet. They had a little flower girl walking in the downtown east side saying, there's a wedding. She's throwing flowers on the dirty concrete. There's a wedding, you're invited. Come on, there's a wedding. They had a string quartet at the end and they had this wedding. They were packed it out in Blood Alley. Well, in the middle of the vows, as Danielle is walking them through the vows, this very sacred moment, right behind her, she hears from the dumpster a creak. And a man popped out of the dumpster, had wide eyes, said something that I will not repeat in church, and then went right back down. So... You know, they were pretty used to the, the neighborhood and they just thought, okay, great, here we go, we'll keep going. So they finished the wedding and then everyone filed out of Blood Alley to go to the great wedding feast where they were going to have this dinner at the mission training center. And Danielle decided she was going to hang around for a few minutes. And so she went and knocked on the dumpster. She's like, um, Oscar? her best guess. (laughs) And this man popped out and she just said, hey, I just want you to know that what you saw today was real. Like there really was a celebration and a wedding here in Blood Alley. This wasn't just some trip that you may tell your friends about tomorrow. This was, this really happened. And I just want you to know that you're invited. You're invited. This was real. And you are invited not just to be a stranger, but you are part of the family. You're invited. See, she didn't just hear the creak of the dumpster, but she decided to immerse herself in the story with this gentleman and see him clearly as a beloved child of God. She chose to step out of her comfort zone so that she could be a part of the new creation bursting forth. And I believe that that's God's invitation for us as well, that we will probably need to step out of our comfort zones in order to be a part of this. And there will be moments where this will be difficult and painful, and we may even need to walk in the road of suffering after 
the slaughtered lamb and follow the lamb wherever he goes. And it actually talks about, as we read in in Revelation 7, in verse 14, that these people have come out of a great hardship. There's this theologian that I absolutely respect and admire. You may know him, his name is Scott Daniels. (laughs) And in talking about this great hardship, he talks about that this is pointing back to Romans 8, where there's the birth pangs of new creation. That this hardship is like the birthing process of the new creation and God's divine purposes coming. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but new life is indeed coming. Now I think about like, I think about it like this. Think about if there was a dad who was like, oh, I'm so excited that my brand new baby's going to be born. I can't wait. He like has a paper chain. He's cutting off all the pieces. (laughs) But then when it comes to just a couple days before, he's like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay at home. I, I, don't, I don't really want to like see all the stuff that happens, you know. And I don't really want my wife to squeeze my hand too hard. So I'm just going to stay home and like watch some football, eat some Doritos, and I will hear all about it when you get home. It's going to be great. I can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah, you're laughing because that seems ridiculous. Hearing about that would be completely different than actually being there and being a participant in it. And yet sometimes I think that that's our tendency where we don't want to walk in any sort of suffering. We don't want to have hardship. We don't want to get out of our comfort zones. And so we just want to hear about new creation, but we don't necessarily want to see it and participate in it. But God is inviting us to be a part of the new creation bursting forth. He's inviting us to link arms with people who are different than us. He's inviting us to follow the lamb, even if it means to the point of suffering. And he's inviting us to see rather than just hear. For a couple of years, uh, about three years, I was a, I had the privilege of being a co-pastor of a church called Encounter Church here in Nampa. It was an extension of Eagle Nazarene Church. It was an amazing season of ministry for me. I just learned so much and God did amazing things in our midst. We had incredible NNU students that would come and, and they were part of our congregation. They were so passionate about Jesus and making their faith their own. We had this group of young adults who had been orphaned as kids who came to our church. They were resilient and strong and found their hope in Jesus. And then we had a lot of people who were struggling with addiction, were on the road to recovery and who were houseless. And one of these friends that came to our church, I'll call him Stephen, he came every week, but I'll tell you, he never came on time. He showed up when he could, but he was always there. And Stephen didn't have a home. He couch surfed all around Nampa. And you may have even seen him around town. He he would ride his bike and he would get his meals from people that were generous who were leaving restaurants or coffee shops and he would get their leftovers and that would tide him over. But he came to our church consistently. And one of my good friends who was my co-pastor, David Reimer, who is Paul Miller's grandson, David had a missional community, a small group in his home every week with a bunch of young people, and they invited Stephen to go and be a part of this group. 
And so every Monday night, they would gather around a hodgepodge potluck meal as young adults can throw together. And Stephen was invited to the table and he came consistently. He was not treated like a stranger, but he was invited to the table as a brother. Well, one night, this was a couple months after he had been going to the small group at David's home, he got to church 30 minutes after the service had ended. But we knew we'd see him at some point. David and I were there and a couple others putting away chairs and cleaning up. And here comes Stephen. He walks in and he has a pizza box. He's like, you guys, do you want to have dinner with me? I have a pizza. And it would have been really easy for me to go kind of hear this and go, where'd you get that? How long have you had it? Is it safe to eat? Remember, I'm a worst case scenario thinker. It would have been really easy for me to go with what I was hearing. But instead, I saw this amazing, warm, generous friend inviting us to a family meal. So the five of us, we sat down on the cold linoleum in the church and had cold pizza. And it was one of the most memorable meals I've ever had in my life. It's easy to hear about the new creation rumbling in the distance. But in that moment, I saw with my eyes new creation bursting forth through the generosity of my friend Stephen. See, hearing confirms what we think, but seeing challenges us to think differently. And as we process this text today, I really believe that God is inviting us to not just hear, but to see. Maybe God is inviting us to hear the footsteps of the people around us and not immediately think that we may be in danger and not try to self-preserve, but to actually see with our eyes the people around us. Maybe God is inviting us to link arms with people who are completely different than us so that we can be agents of reconciliation in the world. Maybe God is inviting us to step into suffering with someone who's going through a really challenging time. That it may be easy for us to stay in our comfort zones, but maybe being a part of the new creation bursting forth is to stepping in, stepping in and saying to someone, I'm with you. You're not alone. I'll walk this road of suffering with you. Or maybe it's just thinking about the marginalized in our society and even in our culture and and right here in Nampa in our community. And not just posting something on Instagram or Facebook in your support of them, but instead doing something where you are looking in their eyes, seeing them face to face and journeying with them. Or lastly, Maybe there's someone that you can invite to the family table. Maybe there's someone in your life, in your circle of influence that needs to know that they're invited. Maybe they need to hear a knock on their dumpster and know that they are not just a foreigner, but their family. In Revelation chapter 19, 
as the book is finishing, there is this great wedding feast at the end. It's this amazing culmination where they're just celebrating the fact that the lamb has indeed brought about the new creation. The great multitude that we've been reading about today, they're all there. They're having this amazing celebratory party. The new creation has come. There are people from different backgrounds, different languages, people who have all sorts of different transformation stories. They're all there together celebrating the new creation. And we are invited to be a part of that too, where we're invited as we are opening our eyes to see how we can participate. We're invited to go and celebrate the fact that someday we will be throwing confetti and eating cold pizza in the presence of the lamb. But as we hear the wedding bells chime of the distant coming feast of the lamb. What are we doing now to ring in the new creation? As we close today, there's going to be some words on the screen and I invite you to sing this with me this morning as our prayer, as we reflect on how God may be prompting us to follow the lamb wherever he goes. All right, I hope they're on the screen. Okay. Well, that's not the song. Um, uh, Hosanna, heal my heart and make it clean. Thank you. All right, I'll just start and then you can join me if you know it. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Oh, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this picture from Revelation 7 that reminds us of the great invitation we have to not just hear the rumblings of new creation, but to see. But Lord, would you give us the grace to participate, not just to sit back in our comfort zones, but would you give us the grace to participate in the new creation that is being ushered in right now, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our communities. We thank you, God, that you, we can't do this on our own, but you give us all that we need to participate and say yes to your will and to your way. We want to see, as we prayed earlier today, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray, amen.